Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with Melinda Estabrooks. I actually met Melinda in person really briefly about a year ago. And I love those full circle moments when you get to just come back and connect again. And so Melinda and I actually, this is one of those conversations where you actually have to, you have to stop talking to say, hey, let's record that podcast that we were going to do. So we've just been chatting um, all about what it is like really to be a woman in Canada Uh, doing ministry kind of things. And so uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Canada, I'm actually coming from the West Coast. So think like three hours north of Seattle. And Melinda is coming from Ontario. So think um, you are north of, what would you, what state are you? Uh, It's like Buffalo, like like Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls, Buffalo. Perfect. So we are both in Canada, quite far away. And so we're just talking about that. Um, Just some of the joys and challenges that that brings. And so a little bit more about Melinda. She is an executive producer and a host of a TV show here in Canada called See Here Love. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but uh, See Here Love has also just released a book called Always Know. It's a collection of inspiring words and stories from See Here Love guests and friends. And I'm excited to dive into that as well. But for now, I just want to talk about Melinda and find out a little bit more about who you are. Oh, do you have Jacqueline like five hours? <laughs> uh, are you wanting to start right from the beginning or? Well, just- I would love to hear, um, first of all, just tell me a little bit about like Melinda today, snapshot, oh. kind of your, your quick little bio. And then I actually want to go back to a little bit back. Okay. So this is sort of present day. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, you said I'm a host and showrunner. I am in a blended family. Uh, I have a 14 year old daughter. 16 year old son. Uh, this is my second marriage and we can talk about, uh, you know, my, the challenge and sort of my redemption story of a very public divorce that, that actually played out on national TV in Canada. Uh, I, yeah, I live just outside of Toronto in Burlington and I've been doing this show for about four or five years. So we're in our season six. Uh, I love to, woo and throw parties. I'm, I'm always the, the girl who does the girls weekends, mm-hmm. sort of pre-COVID. Um, I love driving around in my mini Cooper with my husband, going antiquing and doing road trips. And uh, I'm all about really building into community. I really love connecting with, with women. My months are usually I have four to five Can you believe this like Zoom hangouts with different groups of women in different areas of interest? So for not-for-profit, leadership, media, um, you know, small groups and girlfriends I've been journeying with for 17 years. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I am Filipino and I was adopted when I was one week old to a missionary family that are Canadian. And I, yeah, 
I, um, what else can I say? It's so funny to be on this side. I'm like, oh my goodness, what do I say about myself? And I love eating great different ethnic food when I can. And my husband, and I love to do that every week. We try different kinds of food, so. Well, I'm gonna tell you out of all of that, the thing <laughs> that is sticking in my mind is the fact that I'm picturing you driving to these antique places in your mini and finding something that is way too large to fit in a mini. So I feel like, Tell me, is, does this happen often where you're like, I want to buy this thing, but it's it does. too big? It does. And the thing is that when I say Mini Cooper, I actually, <laughs> this is so funny. I'm glad that you picked up on that. Uh, my Mini is actually a, a Clubman, which is actually considered the station wagon of Minis. So I can do just that, Jacqueline. Okay. I'm not even kidding. But there have been times where I haven't been able to purchase that big antique desk because it won't fit. So I come back with something a little smaller, yeah. but that's hilarious because that's happened many a time. Well, I, I've seen, uh, I do have some friends who live out in your area and I know there are quite a few awesome places to go antiquing. And so in my mind, I'm thinking we need a truck, like we need something massive, but it's, it's actually a good thing. It's good when you, especially when you're traveling and you're like, I can't buy this thing because it's not going to fit in my suitcase. That is actually, it's saving grace. Yes. And my husband would say, amen and amen. You're exactly right, Jacqueline, because that's what he says. <laughs> Glad we have a smaller car. Glad sometimes when we travel, you know, we would just have a carry on because you can't bring back lots of stuff or big things. So you got it. <laughs> well, we went on a little pilgrimage a few years ago. We were in Texas from, uh, during my husband's 40th birthday. I brought an empty suitcase because like we are going to Magnolia Market. <gasps> I know I can only buy small things, but I'm going to fit as many of those small things into my suitcase. Wait, you went to Magnolia Market. Yeah. That is my, that's my, did you go? We went and, you know, I didn't think it was what my husband wanted to do on his 40th birthday. It turns out it, it wasn't what he wanted to do on his 40th birthday, but that's how amazing he is. But he was like, yes, we're going to make the road trip down from Dallas. Um, it was amazing. I have always wanted to go. And I cannot believe you've, you've gone. My mother-in-law sent me one of the like sort of metal, um, pictures because I, I've loved them. I've watched them right from the beginning when Chip and Joanna started and I'm like really jealous of you now because really always wanted to go. Amazing. It's good. It's worth the trip. Okay. Um, now going back, you said you were adopted at a week old. Tell me a little bit about that story of being adopted and even, um, your chance to meet up with your biological mother. It's a great story. You know, I always say that our choices and decisions matter. <laughs> they really do. And I think that in two parts for my story. So first, my birth mom, who was a teenager and found herself pregnant. Uh, and that's a whole backstory. And decided to carry me to term and deliver me and leave me at the Abiertus House of Friendship in Quezon City, just outside of Manila, Philippines. And thankful that a girlfriend had, had mentioned to her this space and safe space for her to have a baby. At that time, uh, you know, going back, a, you know, about a year, Paul and Diane Estabrooks, Canadians, living the great Canadian life, had two of their own biological children, great jobs, lived literally in a home with a white picket fence, great church, and through a missions conference, uh, felt seriously, God called them to be missionaries to the Philippines, working in radio to share the good news of Jesus over transmitter radio wow. at a radio station. 
And much to the chagrin and really disappointment of a lot of people saying, why would you leave Canada and what you have here to go to a foreign place called the Philippines, where you don't even know what's what's there to do this work. And, you know, my adoptive parents always say it's because we heard and knew that this is what God was calling us to do. Now, thank God for that, Jacqueline, because if not, I honestly don't, I wouldn't be here. Like those decisions matter. So they went to the Philippines, they saw the poverty. This was late 60s, early 70s. And uh, through just some uh, beautiful decisions, my adoptive mother had a miscarriage and it was devastating. And through the grief, they were like, God, what can you do to redeem this? How can we, you know, sort of push through the grief? What can you do? And again, very clearly, God was like, you need to adopt. And so they went to the Abiyarsis House of Friendship and decided to adopt the cutest baby with the most potential, with great wisdom, with possibility, uh, four and a half pounds. And I was adopted out of that uh, orphanage. Um, so that was, uh, it's a beautiful story. It just in that, you know, two, two sets of people making a decision and what that has meant for me in my life. And I'm very aware of that as I've gotten older, just how important and beautiful and almost like supernatural of God bringing these moments together. So I grew up in the Philippines and Singapore. We were on, you know, I was in radio. My dad put me on radio when I was young. So maybe that's where I have the bug. Yeah. Uh, and then when we, my dad transferred out of radio, we became Bible smugglers working with Open Doors with Brother Andrew. And we would smuggle Bibles into the for former Soviet Union and China through honestly plane, train and automobile. Uh, to, you know, Christians that were persecuted in the underground church. So rich heritage of, of sort of Christian service and, and missionary experience. And so it was an amazing, amazing childhood. Um, go ahead. Can I pause and just ask you a little bit about the Bible smuggling? When you say we were Bible smugglers, like, were you, you were going along with your parents? Yes. I and I they're think not, yeah. I think they took advantage of me because I was cute and they put children's Bibles into my Sanrio, if you know that, Sanrio, Hello Kitty and My Melody, which is what I grew up with, big in Asia, uh, suitcase. And I, I would go through like customs and like, who would stop me? I'd be like, hi, and yeah. off I would go. And yeah, my brother, sister, mom and dad, we would have them in our suitcases. And we would always pray the prayer that um, we were said, you know, God, you have made blind eyes see now make seeing eyes blind these are gifts for our brothers and sisters that need scripture and i remember giving scriptures to you know these these brothers and sisters and them just crying and then ripping out pages of the bible because they would memorize each chapter and then hand it off to another uh believer another you know person in their congregation and at that age you're just like all right, wow. Cause like we have 20 Bibles in our home, like really this one. So that really imprinted. I, I, maybe that's part of me wanting to share about Jesus and that even within the show I do, like there's the good words segment, because I, I believe that, you know, the promises and the stories of Jesus are transforming are powerful. And I saw that within what I witnessed in the persecuted church growing up. So yeah, so we were smugglers. Now, some people are like, oh my goodness, it's illegal. Well, when you're wanting, when you say we are giving gifts to our brothers and sisters and family, then it is what it is. So it was, it was, that was pretty exciting. It felt very James Bondish. Like I felt sometimes like, I, you know, it was like James Bond or 
I was like, you know, back then like a Remington steel. <laughs> I was something, but how, yeah. old, how old would you have been at this? Oh, time? young. Uh, I don't know, six, seven, all the way up to like, I think 13. We yeah. did that. My dad was mainly focused on that. That was his work. Yeah. But there, there were times when we'd take like a vacation trip. And while we did that, and, and that transferred over into my 20s, I went to Cuba nine times and smuggled Bibles with different groups into Cuba and only got caught once. And that's a whole other story because that was scary. <laughs> I'm just imagining my kids loving that and um, thinking, about, thinking about times where we've said to them, like, you can't tell anybody about this, whether it's a a Christmas present, a birthday present, or something, and how much little kids struggle with, you know, um, but they will rise to the challenge, especially when they know how important it is. So I'm just, I'm really enjoying picturing you as this, like, I can do this, and even the adventure of it. Um, and not that everybody listening is going to be like, hey, now I feel called to smuggle Bibles. But, you know, I think um, it really does show how, in some ways, like, that the things that we are up against here in Canada and North America. Like we, we really are not being persecuted in any way. We have so much, like you said, there's 20 Bibles at home that often go unread. And yet here's somebody who's basically saying, I'm gonna cry as I receive it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rip it open and memorize it. And I've heard that a lot about um, various stories from the underground church and how, you know, it does, it's this, it's the bread of life. They would call it, you are giving us bread. Like that's exactly what we call it. And when we were doing code words, we would, I hear my dad on the phone, like, you know, we've got the bread for people. And at first I'm like, you know, when I didn't know, I'm like bread, dad, you can't take bread in the suitcase. It's going to go rotten. Like I, I didn't know, but that was actually the code word for Bible was bread. Wow. And so that's what they would say. Well, yeah. I think it just gives you such a sense of appreciation for, you know, what at this moment, like I've got the I've got the Bible on my phone in like, I don't know, hundred different translations and, and a handful of them will read it to me. And there's just so much access um, that I love that reminder always to just appreciate we have. And then in some ways also the um, conviction and the call to be continuing to share this bread with our neighbors. I think there really in some ways has never been a time where people are more open to um, hearing where our hope lies and where the truth is. And so um, I do want to go back to your story of um, your adoption process. I love hearing that part of your childhood. I'm glad you pulled that out because that is a, that was a big part of my story, my family story. So, you know, obviously knew that I was adopted. My mom is Ukrainian. My dad comes from like New Brunswick. So he's got sort of British German in him. My brother is brown haired, you know, green eyed, brown eyed. My sister's like blonde, you know, blue eyed. So, I mean, obviously I'm like, I am different and, you know, I'm adopted, but it was, it was something beautiful. I loved being Canadian. I loved my experience. But when I came to Canada, at 13, it was the first time I'd ever experienced otherness and different. You know, I came in a time in the area of outside of Toronto where it was mainly a Caucasian environment. I was one of two kids that were brown skin in my grade eight. And for many people, I was their first friend who was adopted, let alone brown or Filipino. So there was a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions about me. People thought I couldn't speak English and I mean, meanwhile, I'd gone to a 
a Singapore American school and could speak like, you know, up to four languages. And I was, you know, education was crazy that they wanted to like fast track me because we had, you know, just the level of education we had overseas. So that was really interesting. And then I would start looking at magazines at that time and, and TV and, and like no one looked like me. Like there were no Asian women on, you know, Teen Beat or, you know, Seventeen <laughs> magazine or any of that. And at that point, Jacqueline, that's when things got really hard for me. And, you know, I've shared this story a lot, but just rather than go to my parents or church group or even to God to say, hey, you know, my... I don't feel like I belong. You know, you go to places where you feel better. And so a lot of my sort of prodigal story was from teen years to early twenties where I just escaped. You know, I started clubbing and going to bars underage and men and drinking and drugs and just escaping and, and, and hoping God would forgive me every time that I would, you know, lie that I was going to youth group and I actually was going to the club. Uh, you know, and so that it was a real, it was really hard. It was hard for my parents. And I, I say this a lot to parents when I speak, I've been speaking for 25 years here in Canada uh, to different conferences and women's groups and men's groups and high schools and universities. And I always say to parents, I continue to pray for your children. You know, my parents' knees were bruised, you know, through those years because they, what they say, they were literally calling like heaven down to, ensure that God, you would protect Melinda. Cause you know, you could only kind of try to control me so much and I would just sort of do my own thing. And I am thankful for the prayers because I'm telling you so many times during those prodigal years, it was my parents who spoke to me, but random people at a bar that would call out that I'm a hypocrite or people that would protect me, I didn't even know. And I believe that the prayers of my parents going God in any way, in any creative way that you can save our daughter, that you can protect her, then do it. And he did. It, it's wild, the stories of people that sort of intercepted me, connected with me, that have no connection, not even Christian, that spoke in ways that literally saved my life or, or caused me not to go to a place or a space where I could be harmed all the time. Well, anyway, I, yeah. I want to echo that as sharing a very similar story and that I always say to people as well, it is the prayers of my parents. And so I just want to double down on what Melinda has just said, because I know people are listening who have um, adult kids or teenage kids who are not living the life they want for them. They dream for them. They hope for them. And, um, and so I just, I'm going to echo what Melinda said and that, you know, our prayers are never wasted. And really there are, there are amazing ways that God will work to um, protect kids but also to bring them back to him yeah. right? we see that all throughout scripture he's always drawing people back to himself and so I know that's gonna be really encouraging and I love that because I mean like I said I'm at a bar partying trying to lose myself and this this is one story that's so crazy uh, a woman came up she was totally drunk don't even know her and looked at me pointed right at me and said you're a hypocrite I know that like you're a Christian or you love God or something. And here you are acting this way and not living up to who you are, who you say you are at a club, at a bar, like don't even really know her. And I remember that moment. It was like, uh, okay, somebody, God, parents, you got my attention moments like that. And so, you know, when I talk to my parents now, 
I mean, they were, they were having direct prayers, like strong prayers, like speak to her in the way she needs do in whatever way. So a hundred percent, you know, don't quit. Even if your kid is 50 or 60 and you're older, I mean, keep praying because you're, you're right. You know, prayers are not wasted and there are many ways that people can get through to your child. So I, I, that's exactly what I would say. Uh, anyway, through that, you know, and then through a really um, tough situation where there was forgiveness and my, you know, I sort of kind of came back to God. There was a time where I started looking at myself and going, as an adopted child, is it an identity issue? Is it a belonging issue? Like, are there deeper roots in why I'm struggling? And, and also just a curiosity. I think for any adopted child, there's always a sense of, especially when it's international adoption, you know, I don't look like my adoptive parents and I love them. And I'm thankful for them, but who am I? Where my culture and sort of that blood connection, where did I come from? And I remember saying to my parents, you know, this is not about you and you are my parents forever, but by the time I reach like 30 years old, I, I want to know where I came from, at least try to find my birth mom. Hmm. And so we prayed through it. My church prayed for it. My friends prayed through it. And finally, we had an opportunity, Jacqueline, where we had a pastor, a Filipino pastor in Manila. We said, this is what we want to do. Can you do some research? They had one like little um, sort of proof of a document of a little bit of my birth mom, her last name, but back then there wasn't a lot of like papers and files. So it was like a prayer, you know, a small little piece of paper. And it took seven men, seven months to crisscross literally across the Philippines, North, um, Central, South to find her. And how we found her is, is an incredible story. They, they found her through a last name, her, her, her sister uh, lived in the barrio outside of Manila. So a pastor uh, was sent to her and said, well, what's interesting is we have not seen our sister, Dory, for 30 years because something tragic happened and we don't know what happened. And when we realized what happened is she got pregnant and was too ashamed and never told her family and left and they had not seen her for 30 years. Uh, in that, through what she believed where she was, they kind of put together, it's such a beautiful mystery and uh, that she was now living in the southern part of the Philippines. And we just happened to have a pastor contact there. And he found her and knocked on the Nipa hut, which is a hut in the, on stilts in the middle of a farm field rice paddy, and knocked on the door and said, are you, uh, you know, uh, Dory Adarasian Bakatin? She says, yes, I am. They said, somebody wants to chat with you. And they opened up the cell phone, opened up her sister's cell phone in Manila. So you're talking thousands of kilometers away. And they put the two sisters on the phone for the first time in 30 years. And the pastor told me that Dory hit the floor and was sobbing and sobbing. And her, and her sister was sobbing and said, we have found you, my sister, but there's, a, there's somebody who wants to find you too. And we now know that you gave up a baby 30 years ago. And Dory started crying and like everybody started crying. So we got a call, Jacqueline, from the pastor saying that Dory does want to meet. And so months later, I flew to the Philippines with my dad and through with an interpreter, we flew up Dory, her husband and my half brother, Don Don, who at that time was like six. And we met at this, the office 
And uh, it gets me emotional every time. I think that's the beauty of this. Because every time I say it, and I've said it for years, it still gets me emotional. She walked through the door, four seven. I'm four ten and a half, so it was the first time I actually looked down on somebody. It was wild. And she just held my face and we cried. And she looked up at my dad and just said, thank you, Mr. Estabrooks, for answering the prayer of a mom who gave up her daughter 30 years ago and who's been praying for her every day that she was alive and had opportunity that I couldn't give her. And then my dad leaned down to Dory, big, big dad, and said, thank you, Dory, for giving us the most amazing, wonderful daughter that we could ever imagine. And thank you for your courage. And Jacqueline, I'll say at that moment, it was like heaven collided in this beautiful, that God does not forget the orphan, me. God does not forget the least of these, Dory. And God can bring reunion and connection in, in beautiful ways. Now, it doesn't happen for all adopted kids, a story like that. But for my story, it was just this moment of this colliding of like God's love and my father, earthly father's love and a birth mother's love and like everything together. And it was like, I would say, Jacqueline, the sacredness of that room at that time was nothing I've ever experienced. It was like holy ground. It was like everything about this was God's doing and connection. And so we hugged and we laughed and we went for dinner and I met like a ton of my cousins and aunties and uncles, half aunties and uncles. And for the first time I saw blood relative connection and um, we stayed connected. And then just to fast forward, uh, and so it was beautiful and it was so redeeming. And then in 2013, Typhoon Haiyan hit Southern Asia. It was one of the worst typhoons ever to hit and her house was destroyed and she was saved with the kids. Her husband had died uh, previously so she was now widowed with with kids older kids but living in the home completely destroyed and so my dad and our family decided to go down my dad went down first to assess the situation and we decided to build her a home and so uh in 2015 i went back down and we blessed the home we we built her a home with Oh, with a kitchen and a piggery and gardens and a room. And as we sang and we shared our story, a couple of things happened. We said, what is the greatest thing uh, of this home that you love? And I thought it was gonna be the kitchen. And she said, it's a door to my bedroom. I've never had a door or my own bedroom. I've always slept in open room with kids. And uh, it was, she was so proud of it and we blessed it and we sang and it was just a beautiful moment, Jacqueline, of just sort of the least of these being elevated to the most in that now she has a brick home and we asked her what color, you know, she wanted to paint it and I'm giving her like Benjamin Moore colors like, you know, you know, cloud and, and pure white and she chose yellow and pink for the outside. Uh, with a big Canadian flag on the fence because Canadians helped build it. And so, yeah, and then I got to meet six of my half brothers and sisters and chat with them and talk with them and hug them. And it was a beautiful story, it, it, just so beautiful. Uh, and I think again, God remembering and, and loving the least of these. And so, yeah, 
it's been, it's an ongoing story. You know, our family are still connected with them. And because of social media and Facebook, they send me messages all the time on Facebook and like Southern Philippines to just outside of Toronto. But I think what happened for that, Jacqueline, and I'll wrap that part of the story is, you know, I'm just so thankful for the decisions made. I am in awe of the courage of a young 18 year old named Dory who, who gave me up. I'm just so thankful for Paul and Diana Sparks who adopted me, but I think just to be reunited it, for everybody who was part of that story, it was just, it was definitely a God moment and grateful and thankful and humbled by the decisions of people because I'm here today because of them. Well, that is one of the most powerful stories I've heard. And I feel like as you were saying, um, when you were meeting your mom and that was a place of holy ground, as you're sharing those words, I mean, I like, I call it the Holy Spirit goosebumps, but it's like these stories that only God can write. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, you know, I always say like, he's in the business of redemption and taking brokenness and taking really tragedy, like tragedy all around. And I mean, you would take the tragedy of uh, your mom having the miscarriage, right? That was her tragic moment, but that was the moment that opened them up to say, hey, we're going to adopt. And then you have your birth mom of just saying like, I'm not, I'm not um, capable of of raising this child right now. And so even just the loss that that is. Um, and then even the loss of her home in that storm. And I just, you just see redemption threaded and connection. I like just threaded all throughout. And one of the things I was thinking, you know, is that often we, we get this idea that um, sometimes that we're like, we need to go do this big thing for God, or we need to go do something dramatic. And we assume that these things in our life are going to be a, we assume they're going to be really clear and we also assume like they're going to be struggle-free or they're going to be, they're going to look really, really big. And I think what I saw throughout your story was that people just said yes to this little thing that was um, just this little God nudge inside of them. And, um, and it probably wasn't very clear and not all of it felt really like I'm sure as your mom left you at the orphanage, I'm sure there was fear and there was loss. And then um, as your adopted mom went and got you, I'm sure there was fear and there was anxiety or like all of those things that I think when we can look back, we can say those, those are invitations that God is constantly inviting us into this bigger story. And there's going to be fear. We're not going to see the next step to the unknown, but just, I think really trusting that he's like, I'm going to, I'm in that business of redemption. I want to make beauty from ashes come with me and and all of the parts of your story i i mean you joked at the beginning of saying it could be five hours and i'm like we could actually do that like we could dive into all these little parts where um you know god has held you even in all of these different places and spaces and, um, you know, I think, yeah, isn't that it though? Because I didn't want him to hold me. I was running away and it's just like this clinging and being with, and I just was like, I can't get rid of you. And it's like, well, yeah, because we're in relationship and I want to keep, I want to be with you, Melinda. And 
and I'll say this about the story of my adoption, like I share it as for me, when I think about it and as I get older, I believe the story is Dory in a way. I feel like God wanted to remind this, this Filipino woman who people put aside. And maybe that's where a lot of my, you know, to be seen, heard, and loved. Like the theme of the show is because nobody saw her. She was a farmer's wife, you know, without a voice, impoverished and marginalized the least of these and that and this gets me emotional that's the message of jesus jesus is always about the oppressed and the marginalized for for him you know that was his love that that's who he you know he came for that's where you see in his life all the time him defending and welcoming and receiving it's like dory's story is just this beautiful picture of how god sees us and, and loves us. And yeah. And I think that there's so much Jacqueline, like even just sharing with you, it's like the emotion. I mean, it's, it's still so there because it's such a beautiful picture for Dory. Yes. For me, but I think for Dory, like when she saw me and knew that I was okay and said, I've been praying for Melinda, my baby for every day for 30 years. I had no idea what happened to her. And I know that too, Jacqueline, I know the reality that if I wasn't adopted in those years, it wasn't great for young Filipino girls. There was, you know, years and it's known that a lot of Filipino girls at that time were getting trafficked out and, you know, human trafficking in the Philippines. And so I'm very aware of, I'm just aware of it, of, of what, what my life possibly uh, could have ended up like. And so I think now in my life, as I'm looking back, you know, this, I wouldn't say urgency, but this commitment and passion I have to ensure that young women know they're seen, heard, and loved, that they matter, that they're valued, that we need to ensure protection and care and standing up for the least of, because I think maybe deep down, I know that that is me, that could have been me. And the opportunity that when people stepped up and gave opportunity and gave a chance, you know, here I am today. So it is, it's a big God story, um, but it's also just, I think this simple story of a love story for Dory and God. Well, it makes a lot of sense hearing your story, um, why you have um, really produced this, um, this show that's so much more that is see here love that women are going to be seen and heard and loved and that it makes a lot of sense that that's not just a cool idea this is really coming from a deep place inside of you and um, I think that anybody listening would definitely uh, be able to appreciate that because your your heart really for women for sharing Christ with people and for um, creating a space that everybody feels comfortable um, and welcome to be at, I think is really beautiful. Um, for people who aren't familiar with See Hair Love, can you just tell us a little bit more about where they could, where they could find it, where they could watch it, hear it, um, get a little uh, more connected? Great. So, you know, in Canada, Yes TV across Canada, Mondays at 9.30 a.m. and p.m. Uh, our podcast, See Hair Love, uh, radio show on Joy Radio at 3 p.m. Eastern, live streaming and on radio. On 
in uh, Castle Video Streaming, which is a free platform where you can see us. And then YouTube, See Here Love. There's so many options, but it's, yeah, I mean, the show is really about creating a space uh, and platform for women and men to share their faith story honestly. Um, and that's why we talk about, you know, tough things like forgiving our father and divorce and separation and being single and blended family and shame and eating disorders and bipolar and mental illness and marriage. Like we, we want to talk and just, you know, this past week, we, you know, talking about infertility and then, uh, you know, the, the dangers of celebrity Christian culture as we were seeing in the news. So we really want to talk about issues that matter, that we're facing, that we're in and sharing that in conversation so that we can learn from one another. So it's really, yeah, you can, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook, See Here Love. So that's the show. And we're just finishing up our sixth season, going into seven season in September. So really exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Well, I, I love that every episode you have blogs and other things. There's so much content you guys um, are working on. And you basically just said, hey, let's compile some, in some ways, some of the best of into a book, which I love because I'm an avid reader. Every night, it's just the thing that helps um, wind me down. And so if people wanted to pick up a copy of your book, always know, where would they find that? So seeherelove.com, our website slash always know. But if you actually go onto our website, seeherelove.com, there's big pictures of the book. You can go and order it there or on Amazon, Chapters Indigo, it's there as well. Uh, yeah, I, I love it's, you know, 50 contributors, uh, 49 Canadian, and then Joe Saxton, one of my favorite authors and leadership coaches contributed. Five men are in the book. I always have to tell that for the men, there are five <laughs> authors in the book that wrote, you know, blogs. Uh, but I love it because it's, you know, topics that I love. It's all connected every um, you know, blog is connected to an episode. So if you want to read it, you can also watch the show. And then there's, you know, takeaway and reflections. I'm always big on taking time to pause and ponder, reflect on what you've read or what you see or what you hear. Anytime in life, everybody should take a pause on like, what did I learn from that moment? And then a takeaway, because in, at the end of every show, I always do a takeaway. What can we do that's really, um, you know, practical that we can do that can change our life and change how we love one another. So uh, the book is like just an extension of the show. I'm so excited. I, it came out of, you know, the start of the pandemic last year. My team was like, what are we going to do? And we said, we have hundreds of written blogs and devotionals from our guests. Let's compile them and give another space and platform for incredible voices in Canada. These are well-known people, like from the Brian Dirksen worship leaders, like to Joe Saxton, and then to everyday Canadian women and men who are living out their life, you know, for Jesus. And so here's another platform for our Canadian brothers and sisters to share their story and for people to know that they're not alone. Well, I, I love that you can read one of the chapters and then you can go watch yes. the episode. <laughs> like that never happens in a book. So that's fun. Cause sometimes you're like, I read this, it was good. I want more. And so people can get more. So that's really cool. That's like backwards interactive, which I love. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you appreciate that because that was a big thing I wanted because I'm like, the the funny part was when we started the show, uh, you know, 
2017, there would be, we'd do a show and then all of a sudden, right after the show would end, the guests would go, shoot, I forgot to say this. And that's how it started. And I was like, well, then why don't you write it down in a blog and write down kind of the thing that you forgot to say. And that's how it started coming about. We have hundreds of blogs now. Every show we have guests and co-hosts writing. So we have so much content. And so I was like, why not put it in a, a blog uh, or a book that it has seven chapters that are chapters that mean a lot to me because I've gone through them. And most of the people that you know connect with us are saying, these are the, the top kind of seven sort of themes that we're dealing with today. Well, that's so good. Well, we will link to that in our show notes as well Thank as you. linking to you and people I'm sure are going to want to check out See Here Love as well as um, check out, you know, they've heard part of your incredible story. I know we could, we're going to need to do a part two, I'm sure. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. I'd love to do it. Melinda, thank you for coming on Ready to Thrive and looking forward to connecting with you again soon. Jacqueline, thank you so much. It was a pleasure being with you. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but... When someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.